0: keep a secret i'm paul mackie and i'm paul mackie and i'm an idiot i've been telling people to check out my newly searchable podcast and i'd better let them know this is day 23 of the dog days of podcasting and that i am but one of many participants the whole project is at dogdaysofpodcasting.com and there's a master feed of all episodes from all participants if you want to check it out it's another Duluth hot day, except it's even Duluth hotter, 86 degrees. Tomorrow we'll be in about face with a forecast high of 66, but right now they say it feels like 91. That doesn't make it sound like an appealing time to visit a concrete park. Really Big Things, a serial by Paul Mackey. Episode 12. Fred Smith's Concrete Park Jack took one hand off the wheel and rubbed at his eyes, yawning Just how much farther is this place? Eric took a look at the surrounding countryside slipping by 30 minutes, give or take Jack nodded and rolled the window down a crack the chill fall air giving him a jolt of renewed concentration Eric, noticing Chris looking into the back seat expectantly nudged Suzette answer jack so the other guy can hear hmm oh 30 minutes give or take chris took a worried glance at jeremy then turned once more to face forward the increasing chill in the air brought a bit more life to chris as well he looked over at jack why are you taking us anywhere we were all in an explosion jack eric sounded a warning from the back seat suzette and i are taking jeremy to get him help said jack uneasily help said chris we should have all gotten medical help we were in an accident jack get this fucker under control now we can do more for jeremy there's more than a hospital can treat for him jack said awkwardly whether it was repeated use of his name or the chilly air jeremy stirred and moaned simultaneously suzette gulped and winced jeremy said chris leaning over the seat back again jack barked eric Roll that fucking window back up before they both wake up completely. Jack rolled up the window and said, We'll be there soon. Just... don't freak out. Jack pulled the car into a small parking lot. Only one other car was parked there. In the fields beyond stood a menagerie of crudely formed animals and humanoid statues, glinting slightly in the occasional ray of sunshine. Jack pulled Jeremy's slumped form out of the car, and Chris helped Suzette out of the other side. "'Suzette leaned somewhat heavily against Chris as they began to walk between the sculptures. "'Upon closer inspection, the figures were fabricated from crudely-molded concrete, "'inlaid with brown and green shards from broken bottles. "'In the center of it all rose a small, conical hut. "'A couple of tourists were emerging from the door on the side. "'It looked as though it was close quarters for the two of them, "'and they blushed slightly when they realized they were not alone.' You know, it's no house on the rock, declared the woman loudly, while patting herself casually up and down, making sure all clothing was in its proper place. The man chuckled briefly, then said, Well, nothing ever is. Chris and Suzette moved slowly into the small hut, followed by Eric, then Jack dragged Jeremy toward the opening, turning with a half-smile and nod briefly toward the bewildered tourists. Chris blinked in surprise. The group filed out of elevator doors into a cavernous hotel lobby, all marble and brass. They were approached by a large man in a bellhop uniform. The man looked almost comical in this attire, as the little cap on his giant head looked like a doll's hat. He took Suzette's arm, and she shifted her weight to him off of the awestruck Chris. A second, equally massive bellhop led Jack and the prone Jeremy away, and a third beckoned Chris to follow. Chris shielded his eyes as he entered the small sunroom. Waves broke against rocks somewhere nearby, and he soon saw the view, a vast expanse of ocean glinting in sunlight. Inside the room was a small table. Rising from his seat was a gray-haired man, very tall and very thin. Chris shook his hand and took the seat at the table the bellhop had slid out for him. A waiter emerged from the door almost immediately with a large bowl of what appeared to be fruit salad. Individual bowls were served to both Chris and the tall man, who spoke softly. Fennel and oranges, dressed with oil and lemon juice. Then the man put fork to salad and began to crunch away. Chris gaped. You. You're. The man swallowed quickly. Ivo Fermat. Yes. As you can no doubt tell from your surroundings, of the many tales that have been told about me, only the strangest are true. Fermat smiled a thin smile. Now eat. This salad is at its best whilst it retains its chill. Chris picked up his fork out of pure politeness, the surreal nature of everything giving way to some new sort of shock. The cool slices of fennel bulb crunched noisily over the low sound of distant pounding surf. "'I'm told you lost a camera and a laptop along with your car at Ed's museum,' said Ivo. "'It's all quite regrettable. I will endeavor to set everything right when all is concluded.' The meal continued through a number of courses and small talk about cameras and photography. Chris found himself devouring every deluxe dish placed in front of him. Ah, dessert, said Ivo. It is nearly impossible to get good tiramisu anymore. No one has had a very good one, but everyone thinks they have had a good one delivered with their pizzas. Or down at the 7 So you're a criminal, said Chris suddenly. Ivo paused and dabbed at the corner of his mouth with a napkin. I am wanted by federal authorities, but I assure you I am a good man. This pretty much killed the conversation. When he finished his dessert, Ivo rose from the table. I must now excuse myself. The door to the right is a bedroom suite. I am certain you will wish to clean up and get some rest. I will send someone up with a medical kit to tend to your injuries. (coughs) I feel confident in Suzette's analysis of the situation. However unusual, said Ivo. Unusual? said Eric, eyes wide. He fried a purple eye. Eric, Jack, and Ivo were outside Jeremy's room, preparing to go inside. I believe, based on the total lack of apparent purpose, that this is all a grand coincidence, beginning when John here mistook this man for Michael, his effect on the wraith notwithstanding. A small man with a medical bag emerged from the room with a polite nod to the three men. Head to the Ocean View suite next, Jacob, said Ivo quietly. "'The subject,' began Eric, but Ivo cut him off. "'Eric, you know I detest your habit of dehumanizing these individuals, "'however understandable the habit may be. "'The subject has a name. "'Does he not, John?' "'Yes,' said Jack. "'His name is Jeremy.' "'Ivo's eyes went far away for a short moment. "'Then he blinked and said, "'Well, let's see him.' "'Ivo led the way into the room. "'Jack and Eric both began to follow at the same time. "'Eric sighed. "'After you, your highness.' Jack glared back, but entered the room. Eric followed. Inside, Jeremy was in a bed, bandaged and unconscious. Ivo fell to his knees, trembling. Jeremy, he said slowly. After all these years, you've finally returned. You've been listening to Really Big Things, a serial by Paul Mackey. Suzette was read by Darcy Zepernick. Music is Chronodermis by NanoChrist. Find out more at www.nanochrist.com. Send comments and feedback to reallybigthings at gmail.com. Well, my first concern was not knowing how far it was between Chatty Bell and Fred Smith's Concrete Park. It would be a bit embarrassing if it was actually a 20-minute drive, but perhaps I checked that fact back in the day. One hour 45. Long enough to drive for a while, ask how long, and still be told 30 minutes or so. I took some liberties with the layout of the park, again, another place I've not actually been to yet, It's apparently on a logical enough path between my house and my sister's house, so I'll probably tick it off my list in the next year or so now that I know this. There is no grotto space or hut in this park, but I needed there to be one, so there is in this universe. The bystander tourists were portrayed by then-regulars at the deadpan Leanne Mabry and Clara High. I couldn't help referencing House on the Rock, it being also in Wisconsin, meant it made sense. I'm sure you get the joke, me calling this guy Ivo Firma. I love a fennel and orange salad, but it's best with a really fresh bulb of fennel, and I seem to mostly miss them. I'm not sure when the season to find them freshest is. I don't know if I've had a really good tiramisu, but I know there are certainly a lot of mediocre ones out there. Already you can see I made a pivot between Jack being a minor player to Jack being key to the story in some way. Ivo thought this was all an ordinary coincidence, but of course I had bigger plans than that, too. I decided to make this episode a quicker one this afternoon, at least in part because I want to turn all the fans back on. So, hey, happy hunting, especially Michael Butler. You have been listening to the One Idget's Thoughts On podcast, produced by Paul Mackey in association with quadruplez.com. Theme music is Too Good by Jack Mangan and is used by permission from him. If you would like to hear other podcasts by me, you might try The Ghostlight Podcast, a completed intro cast about the TV series Slings and Arrows, or Idiot Cast, an intro cast for the TV series Supernatural. Both can be found on Fine Podcasting Listening Software Everywhere or at QuadrupleZ.com.